C. diff, spores, and more is brought to you by Clorox Healthcare, trusted solutions for your infection prevention needs. Visit us on the web at cloroxhealthcare.com. Welcome to C. diff, spores, and more with your host, Nancy Kerala. We are here to discuss C. diff, healthcare-associated infections, and other related healthcare topics. Now, here's your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us today. We would like to thank our sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, for making this program possible. Visit the Clorox Healthcare website to learn more about their products, keeping environments safer, cloroxhealthcare.com forward slash C. diff radio. It's a great pleasure to introduce our guest joining us today, Dr. Linda Lee, who is Chief Science Officer with VitaShield. Dr. Lee is a public health professional with a focus on the relationship of opportunistic environmental pathogens. Dr. Lee joins us today to discuss the impact of uh, contaminated air to patient outcomes. And Dr. Lee, thank you so much for joining us. Yes. Hi, Nancy. It's so good to talk to you again. And thank you for the invitation to be here today. Oh, well, thank you for taking your time out of your busy schedule and joining us here today. And Dr. Lee, I don't want to um, waste any time because there's a lot of information you have to share with our listeners. And then let's start off with asking you, what can you explain the importance uh, of air quality to overall health? Uh, that's a great question because I think there's so much new data out there in it, we like to think of the air as the invisible threat because all around us, whether you're in airports or commercial buildings or healthcare facilities, you have to breathe the air. You can't get away from it. it it's necessary for all of us. And, and we take steps if we think the air is contaminated. For instance, if we see smoke, we run the other way. If we, if we smell something bad, we protect ourselves, we walk away, or maybe we even hold our nose, but we ultimately have to breathe. And we can't always see the threat, especially if you're an immunocompromised patient or you're an immunosuppressed person because of some sort of, of healthcare condition or medications that you're taking. So we like to think of it that the air is something we can't see. It's difficult to protect ourselves from and yet we need it every day. So when we're thinking about the air and we're thinking about the environment, we often, we often look and we say, gosh, I, I was in a hotel last week and the fire alarm went out, went off. And what do you think people do? They open the door, they look to the left, they look to the right, they don't see any smoke, so they shut the door and they think it's a false alarm. So what we're going to talk today about is how is the air a threat to us, and how should we rethink about the air, especially if we're in a situation where we are at, at risk patient? So in particular, I know that the interest of the group or the audience today is C. diff, and we're going to talk a little bit about how treating the air continuously 24 by 7 may help people in prevent healthcare-related uh, infections or just protecting and cleaning the air for all of us. That's wonderful, Dr. Lee. And Dr. Lee, can you explain to our listeners how exactly do pathogens travel on an air current? Well, if we think about walking around and we think about 
cleaning the house. When we clean the house, especially if you look and the sun is coming through the window, we clean the house and the air looks really clean. And then we clean it and we can see all these little particles that the sun is reflecting off those particles. So if we think about how pathogens travel, is all those little specks can be thought of as a pathogen. And if we think about a snow globe, so think about a snow globe, and if you go and you shake that snow globe, all the particles that were on the surfaces become airborne. And those airborne particles can be bacteria, they can be fungus, they can just be plain old pieces of dust or, or particles. Well, you can imagine if now you're walking around inside the snow globe and you have all of these particles flying around you, you, you are going to breathe them. And so if there's enough of those particles that are pathogenic and you're susceptible to them, you potentially could get an infection. Those particles then ultimately land back on the surface, like in our snow globe, and they settle down. It's been shown in some studies that just merely walking on surfaces or carpets can generate 100,000 pathogens or 100,000 particles per step. So you can imagine if these are able to get up into your breathing zone and they're on the floor, they're in the air, and, and you're susceptible to whatever you're picking up and stirring up in the air. Okay, well, that's really interesting information, Dr. Leigh. how critical is the role of particle size to air contamination? Well, we all breathe what's in the air. And some particles are large enough where we might cough or we might sneeze or we might be able to expel them once they get into our, our respiratory tract, whether that's through our nose or in our lungs. And interestingly enough, um, those probably are not quite as, as challenging for us to get rid of. But if you can think about little particle sizes like a little tiny bacteria or a little tiny virus, those can often pass deeper into our lungs. And our lungs are really large surface areas. So when we think about a contamination, we're always looking for a route of entry into the body. If you have a cut on your hand, you may put a little neosporin or something on it and cover that so that other bacteria can't get into that cut. Well, if you think about your lungs, you have a route of entry into your body that's often difficult to protect. So if we can't see what's in the air, that route of entry is directly associated with entering our lungs, particularly as you get to smaller particle sizes, large particle sizes like smoke or coal dust or even cigarette smoking um, are, are, are pretty large. That's why somebody who's smoking, especially if it's their first time, they'll cough because, you know, those particles are going in and your lungs say, oh, holy mackerel, we don't want this in here. But little tiny pieces, little things get past that protective uh, response for us all the time. So particles are important. And bacteria, fungus, mold, yeast, etc., like to travel on little particles, little particles of dust, little particles of water, and they all get into our lungs and can potentially get deep into our lungs and, and ultimately cause a problem. Exactly. 
And thank you, Dr. Lee. And maybe you can explain why is it that more healthcare providers, uh, they're not paying attention to the air. And can you explain why they're overlooking this? I think that healthcare providers pay a lot of attention to the air when it's something they consider to be an airborne pathogen. There are lots of protections for patients in the hospital if somebody has tuberculosis or TB. And what happens is is that they isolate that patient and they put them into a room. And when they put them into that room, they close the door or they may put a mask on them or they might put a mask on the people who are working with them. Or if you have influenza or you have something that is traditionally thought of as being an airborne. But what we're finding is that the science is saying that maybe what have been considered to be contact pathogens or spread person to person, maybe those are being transferred through the air, which we're we're not really thinking of as being airborne. So that brings us to the C. diff discussion. And so healthcare providers say, well, those are contact pathogens. They don't travel in the air. They contact the patient person to person or the patient touches a surface and then ingests it or, or somehow gets it into their body. What the studies are showing and what more information is saying is that maybe that line between airborne pathogens and contact pathogens are, is not as clear as we once thought it to be. Okay, Dr. Lee, and thank you so much for sharing that information with us. At this time, we're going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of contaminated air to the patient outcome with our guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield. Thank you, and stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands? Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, 
a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Find out what's happening on the Voice America Talk Radio Network by keeping up with us on Twitter. You can find us at Voice America TRN. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Thank you, and welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, Global Broadcasting Network. We welcome our listeners joining us today. We thank our guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield, for joining us today to discuss the impact of contaminated air to the patient outcomes. Welcome back to the program, Dr. Lee. Yes, thank you, Nancy. Oh, thank you for joining us. And Linda Lee, Dr. Lee, um, we wanted to know, in um, re- re- respective uh, with the air and contaminated air, you know, C. diff is a spore and how would that become airborne? That's a great question because just like we talked about particle size in the last segment, spores traditionally are, are quite large and quite heavy. If you think about the pollen that, that lands on your car or you think about things like that that you can see, you know, if you, if you take the, the mold in a shower, um, it puts off spores and so it lands and it germinates or sporulates and it creates more mold. So we can often see spores where we can't necessarily see bacteria. But how it becomes airborne is often uh, the subject of a lot of discussion within the healthcare industry. We know that uh, the NIOSH, the National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Health, have a great uh, video on their website about toilet flushing and how toilet flushing, especially with high-velocity toilets, ones that you might find in a hospital or an airport or a public facility, those really high-velocity flush valves, when you flush that, those water particles or the particles in there become airborne. You could, if you had a black light and you had something like germ go, probably show them all over the front of your clothes or wherever you are standing in the stall. So how does it become airborne? Well, that's a perfect example. The patient goes into a bathroom, uh, they have C. diff, they flush the toilet, that uh, spurts up, so to speak, creates a plume, goes into the air, and then it lands on surfaces, and then people touch it, and that, that's a perfect route of entry into their body. So everything, as we said, in our snow globe goes up ultimately comes down. It just comes down at a faster rate. Uh, C. diff can be anywhere in particle size uh, between 0.77 and 1.25 on average, which makes it heavier than air unless it's, it's, it's smaller than air, but it's still quite heavy. Making the bed. So the, the, the nursing assistant comes in, makes the bed, straightens up the room. Shaking that bed uh, MRSA, C. diff has been known to uh, go into the air uh, that way. It's also interesting, in one of the studies uh, done, it showed that on non-high-touch surfaces, 
So that's the surfaces where particles land on. It's not the bed rail. It's not the handrails in the hallway. It's not the doorknobs. It's the non-high-touch surfaces. They were able to recover C. diff in 69% of the rooms on high-touch surfaces, which means it was just falling out of the air uh, the way you would find a a dust particle or, or another heavier particle. Thank you so much for explaining that, Dr. Lee. And why are air samples more contaminated than surface samples? Well, you know, that often, people often ask me that, you know, well, how, how contaminated is the air? How contaminated is the surface? We know a lot about surface samples. We know a lot about surfaces because surfaces have been studied for really a long time. And if you go into a hospital and you ask the staff what they do for a C. diff patient, uh, they have lots of procedures. The patient leaves the room, they decontaminate the room, then they may use uh, a vaporized hydrogen peroxide, they may use uh, one of the UVC robots. They do all sorts of things and all, all very important and they, they should do those things. But the big issue is, is that you do that and then people come back and they recontaminate the room. So when we think about the, the, the person in the room, they're creating the contamination in that room. And several studies have shown that you're two and a half times more likely to get C. diff if you've been in a room where a patient had C. diff before you. So even if you're doing all of the terminal cleaning, why, why is it still contaminated? And it's because many times there's a footprint left behind by the last patient. And so even though the room has been cleaned and the room's been cleaned a lot and they've got very good protocols and I talk to staff all the time, if you ask the staff, so what did you do for the air in the room? They'll usually say, well, the air handler removes that or we have HEPA filters. But if you think about it, that's only taking care of the room that goes in and out of the air, in and out of the room. But many times doors are left open, people go room to room, and they're actually bringing the, the pathogens to the room. Exactly. And Dr. Lee, can you provide our, our listeners information on shedding of bacteria? Uh, there was a study reported not too long ago that there's 37 million bacteria shed by a person each hour. Now, that's not to scare people and go, holy mackerel, what's that about? It's that there are normal bacteria. There's bacteria that we shed all the time that don't necessarily make people sick. And so that's common. But if you're an at-risk patient, and this is the really important thing, is that we live every day in sort of this microbiological soup that we coexist with in a very happy environment. But if you're an at-risk patient or there's too much of something in that air that then makes you sick, it's like the person who responds to an, an allergen. So I go here and I start sneezing and coughing because something in the air is irritating me, causing my airways to react. You may be fine. Somebody else may be fine. Somebody else has an anaphylaxic shock. So it's all very variant on the patient and the patient's response to the environment. Okay. And Dr. Lee, how, do the, how does one uh, arrive at the higher percentage rate 
okay for their at-risk patients with C. diff? Well, there are lots of studies, and so the the risk is related to what's up with the patient. So, if you're if you're getting chemotherapy, if you have diabetes, if you are are old, if you're very young, your risk factors go up. And so if you're a young, healthy person and you've been exposed to something, you may be able to just respond to that and, and maybe you have a, a subclinical case or maybe you, you don't get all of the, 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 the disease, you don't get all of the condition. You can think about chickenpox when you were a kid. Maybe you got a really mild case and your brother or your sister got a really bad case. You know, when I was a, a kid, if, if you got chicken pox, you went around and kissed all your brothers and sisters so that everybody got it and they got it over with all at once. Well, we know better now. We know that there are vaccines that can protect patients. So, again, it, it's really uh, the risk is really associated to the individual variants of the person. Okay, and on, and we also know the risk goes up with the age, correct? Exactly, yeah. exactly. Some of us who are are uh, older are at much greater risk for for literally everything because we just don't respond as much as uh, as as younger people. Exactly, and Doctor Lee, there are studies that speak about the floor being a major contaminant to the role of the air. Um, can you discuss some of those studies that are out there? Uh, yes. Uh, again, as we discussed with the resuspension of particles in the air, just taking steps, we can think about if somebody's running a vacuum cleaner. Now you're taking this high velocity and you're blowing it out into the room. Now we hope that that it has a HEPA filter if it's in a in a healthcare facility on a vacuum, but we know that. Uh, those HEPA filters don't necessarily capture all particles, particularly smaller particles. So making the bed, vacuuming the floors, even using some uh, dry dusting or some dry cloths, they're going to capture some of it, but the, the action of moving your arms back and forth or taking the, the mop and, and uh, cleaning off the tops of the pictures, not everything gets captured. Because, as we know, these are all little tiny particles, and they're easily resuspended in the air. And then they have to either settle back out. But once they become in your breathing zone in particular, they can put the patient at risk uh, because the patient is already uh, immunocompromised or immunosuppressed. Right. And Dr. Lee, we thank you for sharing the research and the information um, with us today. At this time, we're already going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of contaminated air to patient outcomes with our guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. To help support the CDF Foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate. 
or call toll-free 1-844-4-C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. The CDF Foundation offers global community support sessions. CDF can affect anyone at any age at any location in the world. Receive support from topic experts sharing information on nutrition, mental health, C. difficile prevention, treatments, and environmental safety, as well as learn about upcoming events, teleconferences, and support sessions. To register for a session, call the CDF Foundation at 1-844-4CDF. 1-844-367-2343 or visit us on the web at cdifffoundation.org Support is just a phone call or mouse click away. Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C-Diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating c difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C-Diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call one 877 2343. That's 1-844-4C diff. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit VoiceAmerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to our program, and thank you for joining us today. We welcome back our guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield, here to discuss the impact of contaminated air to patient outcomes. Welcome back to the program, Linda. Uh, thank you so much, Nancy. It's glad to be here. Ah, thank you, and thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule today. We really appreciate you being here, and, you know, this week we celebrate Infection Prevention Week um, with our partner, APIC, uh, as they promote infection preventions worldwide, and with that, I know that you um, are willing and able to discuss um, some of the parameters of, the, of your studies, number of beds used, and the type of patients. Would you like to share that information with our listeners? Uh, that's great. And, and I think, interestingly enough, uh, Nancy, Infection Prevention Week is so important because I think infection prevention is, is really key, and it's coming into its, not only its own science, but the importance of it in the hospital and how critical the role of the infection prevention person, 
uh, you know, and, and, and other disciplines in the hospital, which are so important in protecting the patient. So we have so much overlap between facilities, infection prevention, and the role that they can play in ultimately patient outcomes. So that's, that's a great segue into this. Um, we've been studying a technology that treats the air continuously 24 by 7. And in two of the facilities we studied, uh, one was in Kentucky and one was in Tennessee, we were looking at specific patient populations. Uh, one was in an ICU in a Kentucky hospital. And in that ICU, we were looking at uh, specific uh, conditions that the infection preventionists were interested in. So overall, we saw a reduction of 53% at six months and 55% at a year in reduction of all infections. But interestingly enough, in, in the area of C. diff, we saw an 88% reduction in C. diff infections, which is pretty significant considering that C. diff, as we talked in the last segment, is normally considered to be a contact pathogen. And all the patients in this study were actually on contact precautions. So the patients would uh, be on contact precautions, but as we often see, no matter how hard the staff tries, uh, their family members may come and go from the room and, and not necessarily follow those precautions. Then they go down to the cafeteria, and it's not because they don't want to follow them. It's that they forget they're concerned about their loved one. There's a lot of stress going on. And so I think it becomes very important to understand that there are a lot of pathways for spreading this. We also, interestingly enough, saw a reduction in MRSA or MRSA, as it might be known, uh, of 55%. We also saw a reduction in, uh, in urinary tract infections and bloodstream infections. And so... It, those are normally, again, thought of as contact pathogens. And that was one of the reasons we were looking at those particular infections because of the, of the type of infections they were following. In the second facility, we were actually following a nursing home that was a ventilator unit compared to another ventilator unit. And in that particular unit, they also saw a reduction of C. diff, uh, overall 28% reduction in all infections, C. diff 23%. In that one, the MRSA MRSA was 71% and 33% in acetobacter and VREs 42%. And in that unit, they were basically comparing in this nursing home people who were cro chronic ventilator patients on one unit compared to another unit and overall the same acuities. Now, these Studies are both going through uh, peer review, so they're, um, they're, they're very interesting in looking at the air as a way of or as a route of contamination that hadn't been previously studied. Not that people shouldn't do everything they're already doing for surfaces, not to change anything, but to look at a way that ultimately adds another layer of protection for these vulnerable patients. Right. And Dr. Lee, how did the biological reduction compare with the patient outcome results? 
We saw significant reductions in bacteria and fungus in most of uh, the studies that we've done uh, utilizing a continuous room cleaning technology for the air. And in many of our studies, we're anywhere between 46% to over 80% reduction in bacteria and funguses. And these were done in many, many types of environments, including pharmacies, including uh, patient units like we just discussed. Uh, we've studied uh, schools. We've studied all kinds of areas where people are concerned about patient outcome related to exposures to the environment. And in, in particular, eliminating these. So, so you say, well, is this the direct result? Well, I, th- I think there are a lot of studies that still need to be done, but these are very promising to say adding this level of protection may actually bring an additional level of, of uh, safety to the patient care environment. Because that's ultimately, as infection preventionists and, and healthcare workers, it's first do no harm. So if we consider the environment as a potential pathway uh, for all sorts of things. I mean, we, we offer people vaccinations because we know that people can spread diseases between each other with mosquitoes, with all sorts of things. We offer people personal protective equipment. When you go into that C. diff room, a lot of times you'll wear a gown or you'll wear gloves or you'll wear some sort of protection. You'll take it off at the door. And then we also offer people other controls, such as surface cleaning or environmental cleaning between patients. We empty the trash. We mop the floors. But what do we really do for the air? And that's, that's always been the, the hypothesis or the big question that we pose to infection preventionists to see, is there another thing we can do to protect patients? Right. And Dr. Lee, what are some of the advantages of a unit that's either ceiling mounted versus the ones that are wall mounted? Well, the, the ceiling mounted units are out of the way. And being out of the way, as you know, uh, having been a patient yourself, the rooms are very small. And you know, as a healthcare practitioner yourself, that if you're working with a patient that's got lots of equipment, a ventilator, IV poles, you know, a dialysis unit, whatever, uh, they take a lot of floor space. Well, nothing ever goes in the ceiling. Now, there's a lot of real estate in the ceiling when you think about this whole thing, including where the light is, is available to put a control mechanism in there. So what we find is that of all the places in the room, that's not going to get in the way of patient care or the families, or it's, it's really not interfering with, with what goes on in that environment. Yes, you are so right. Um, the ceiling has great real estate, and it is. It's out of the way for both patient and the staff who are working with the patient. So thank you for answering that. And Dr. Lee, when you um, find an air treatment devices assists in the reduction or elimination, um, does it also eliminate the odors that are around or in the room? In the studies by the the hospitals that we just talked about, both of them had reported that the odors, the healthcare-associated odors, because healthcare-associated odors, so whether it's 
infections or wound care or incontinence are, have all been associated with odors that either the staff can detect, but certainly patients and visitors can. And so all of them had, had indicated that that actually improved the odor in the room. And we, we studied a device that did not produce ozone as the way to either decontaminate the air or treat the air, I should say, or uh, improve the odors. Because some, some units are, are ozone-based, but because we're dealing with patients that are, are fragile in fragile health conditions, we studied uh, one that did not produce ozone. Also, interestingly enough, this is considered to be an engineering control, and that engineering control required no staff interface. So people didn't have to turn it on. They didn't have to turn it off. It just literally ran in the background 24 by 7, and it could run with or without a light. So if a patient wanted to be asleep and they didn't want a light on, they just turned it off. But the infection control device or the continuous UVC, which was shielded, so there was no exposure to anyone, uh, ran 24 by 7. So it was unobtrusive to the staff, unobtrusive to the patient, and it yielded uh, for these two hospitals uh, significant uh, patient outcomes. But in all of our studies, it yielded significant reduction in air and uh, air contaminants for both bacteria and fungus. And bacteria and fungus were both studied as surrogates for things that were in the air. Okay. And Dr. Lee, the units that are being used in the air to de- disinfect the air, um, do the devices also improve uh, the general health, even with the staff, and, and reduce uh, absenteeism? Well, as a, as a company, there's no claims made to that, but in both of the studies, according to the the head nurses for those units, they did have reduced absenteeism by the staff. So the staff, actually in the one in Kentucky, they had the best attendance rate uh, during the entire cold and flu season of anyone else. So they, uh, they, they, those were what the information was that were reported by the hospital. They were not part of the study that we, we did specifically. Okay. Well, Dr. Lee, we are going to pause for a commercial break. When we return, we will continue discussing the impact of contaminated air to patient outcomes with our special guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back after these messages. Get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. To help support the C. diff foundation, please visit our website, cdifffoundation.org forward slash donate or call toll free 1-844-4C-DIFF. That's 1-844-367-2343. Join us in our fight against C. diff and help us continue our mission of educating and advocating for C. diff infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety worldwide. Through your continued support, we can continue raising C. diff awareness and help save lives. Donate today. Visit cdifffoundation.org. Thank you. 
Join us on November 9th and 10th for the 5th Annual International C. diff Awareness Conference and Health Expo at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas. Learn from the leading international topic experts and connect with corporate sponsors and exhibitors providing products and services combating C. difficile and healthcare-associated infections worldwide. For more information and to register online, please visit the C. diff Foundation's website at cdifffoundation.org or call 1-844-367-2343. That's 1-844-4-C-DIFF. Because C. difficile lives on surfaces for weeks, because it infects nearly 500,000 Americans yearly, you need disinfectants you can trust. Clorox Healthcare bleach products, cited by more studies to kill C. diff than any other products. EPA registered to kill C. diff in as fast as three minutes. Trusted disinfectants to kill C. diff spores in hospitals, because even one C. diff infection is too many. Learn more at CloroxHealthcare.com. Have you done any of these things today? Exited a restroom? Entered and exited a patient's room? Visited a doctor's office? Have you done this today? Washed your hands. Hand washing remains the single most important task of the day. It takes soap, water, a minimum of 30 seconds, and a clean dry towel to turn off faucets and dry hands to stop giving germs a free ride. Keep safe from germs worldwide. Hand washing, number one in infection prevention. For additional information on hand washing instructions, visit cdifffoundation.org. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to C. diff, spores, and more. If you have a question, please send an email to info at cdifffoundation.org. Now, back to our program. Here again is your host, Nancy Kerala. Welcome back to C. diff, spores, and more, and we thank you for joining us today. We welcome our guest, Dr. Linda Lee, Chief Science Officer with VitaShield, who's here discussing the importance and the impact of contam- contaminated air to patient outcomes. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Lee. Yes, thank you. You're welcome. In the last, um, before commercial break, you had mentioned um, the units in the real estate of the ceiling. Would these units be also be considered being utilized in restrooms? Yeah, that's a great question. If you remember in the first segment, we really discussed how important the toilet flushing was, or at least as it is reported through the National Institutes of Occupational Safety and Health on their video that shows how healthcare workers and housekeepers can contaminate their clothing and themselves just by flushing the toilets. And so if you can think about it, uh, the, the restrooms, any public restroom is probably important to do a test. We're actually doing a study right now in a prominent children's hospital. And in that children's hospital, what we're doing is we're testing the restrooms <clears throat> before and after we put in uh, the units. So the units are going to be installed in the restrooms, and then we're going to, again, measure total bacteria and fungus in the restrooms and see if installing these in the restrooms will bring down the amount of uh, contamination in those spaces. 
because, again, restrooms will play a role. And I, I always use the example of, of, if you can think about it, if you go into the any public restroom and you go into the stall and the stall is nasty uh, in, inside there or smells bad, you go to another stall because you're protecting yourself from whatever you're perceiving. But the stalls are all open at the top. And the next stall, you don't know what went in there just because, or what went on in there just because it's clean. And so, particularly in this children's hospital, they're looking at it and they're saying, look, we, we want to take any precautions we can to protect our most vulnerable patients. And so, by treating the bathrooms or treating the, the toilet areas, in especially the public restrooms, uh, can we better protect the patient? So, that's a great question. Well, thank you so much for answering it, too. We appreciate that. And Dr. Lee, can you explain to our listeners why why is UV, okay, such a great technology being utilized in healthcare today? Well, UV has a long history in healthcare. It's used in so many different applications. And, uh, you know, it's used in biological safety cabinets. It's used in air handlers. It's used all over the hospital to control pathogens or to control contaminations or microbiology. But if you could imagine taking that technology that you're using all over the hospital and bringing it to the room and bringing it to where the pathogens are being created, because when we study the air handlers, for instance, there's a lot of controls in the air handlers, whether it's HEPA filtered air, whether it's UV uh, but the air that's being delivered to the room is overall, is overall quite clean. But what studies have shown, there was a really interesting study at an MD Anderson Cancer Center that showed that um, people coming into the room were contaminating the room. And so in that study, which also talked about, you know, when the settling times of uh, particles and things like that showed that all of the air coming into the room was overall pretty clean because it was HEPA filtered, it was treated, uh, but people coming into the room. And so when we look at the, the room, what if you could take all the technologies you have all over the hospital and put it into the patient room in a shielded method where you're not being exposed to UVC at all, but you're taking advantage of the benefits of treating the air and cleaning the air and preventing particles from settling on surfaces 24 by 7. Okay. And thank you, Dr. Lee, for answering and explaining that. Um, Dr. Lee, can you explain or you, can you share with us um, how, how noisy are the units? Are they very noisy? Are they going to interrupt patient care or their sleep? Or uh, are they going to be disturbing to neighbors in the same room? Oh, that's a great question because, you know, traditionally, if you can think about an air purifier, if you go down to the store and you buy one, it runs in your room and you can hear it running. Or if you stay in hotels, you can hear that motor running. Uh, these units operate uh, very quietly. You can't hear them over the background noise in the room. So you will hear noises in a hospital all day, all night, but these the noise from these are four little fans running similar to a computer fan, and these will run 
24 by 7, and they're less than 40 decibels. So even the air from the noise of the the centralized air handlers kicking on and off are, are, are much louder than the noise from these units. So it will not interrupt patient care. It will not interrupt patient sleep, and it's not going to bother people room to room. Okay, and Dr. Lee, how quickly does the unit neutralize the pathogens in the air? Uh, very quickly. If the pathogens get to the unit, because remember they're usually over the patient bed or depending on the size of the room, there may be two units in the room. What happens is the pathogens are drawn in through these, through a filter, then through four fans, and then the air is pushed through a small chamber, and that chamber has the UVC in it. So there's no exposure to the occupants of the room. There's no exposure to anyone from the UVC, and the air takes just about a second, a little less than a second to pass through one end of the chamber to the other end. And in most cases, uh, the, the modeling of the bacteria, viruses, spores, funguses, everything, uh, the, the uh, inactivation rate is about 99%. And so one pass through the unit. Now, does every bit of air make it through the unit? Uh, probably not. You know, if you're in a remote corner of the room or you're in the bathroom and you have the door shut, uh, you may not make it to the unit. But if you can think about it, all that activity that we just talked about, making the bed, cleaning the room, uh, you know, mom and dad or the family members coming in and putting their stuff down, uh, all contribute to that, that bio burden of the room. But that also contributes to the air moving around. So the air handler kicks on, it creates a little uh, what they call current or eddy current that moves things around in the room. And we're most concerned about what's in the breathing zone because what's in the breathing zone is what we're breathing. And depending on where you are in the room, your breathing zone are at different heights. If you're five foot tall and you're standing up, your breathing zone is a different height than if you're on a bed that's three foot off the floor. So what this unit is really designed to do is to pick up all of those air currents and to pick up all that air movement that's taking the particles and transporting them into the air and then moving them around. Okay, great. And Dr. Lee, how does the UV unit, how does it differ from the UV robots that we know um, are working in healthcare today? Uh, that That is a very good question and often asked. Uh, the robots are doing a, a fabulous job, according to their studies, on decontaminating surfaces and, and really treating surfaces between each patient. So it's part of the cleaning system, similar to surface cleaning, similar to what we might call terminal cleaning. And so they go in and people terminally clean the room and then they send in the the robot, and the robot will then decontaminate the surfaces further for anything that was missed. And so we call that episodic cleaning. And then, But what happens is if you're in an ICU or, or you're in a, ho- a hospital room, they don't use the robots every day they clean the room because of the exposure to the patients and the staff and the time it takes. So during that time... They may wipe surfaces down. They may empty the trash. 
They may do things to freshen up and clean up the room, but they're not going to uh, be able to use that technology. So they're, they're completely different. The technology that we're discussing and that we've been testing is really about continuously cleaning the air in the room, whether there's a patient in the room, whether there's a procedure going on in the room, whatever's happening. So if I'm in the bed and I'm coughing and I'm generating these particles, uh, this unit is running all the time. And so it doesn't replace the robots. It doesn't replace using Clorox to clean the surfaces. It doesn't, it doesn't replace anything that the hospital is doing. It doesn't pr- pr- replace the nurse coming in with a mask on or wearing gloves. What it does is it says, we can't see the air. We don't know what's there. And so we're going to assume that by cleaning the air and decontaminating or treating the air, that we're providing a better, safer environment because everybody deserves clean air. And the cleaner the air, we know that it, it contributes to, to health outcomes. Absolutely. And Dr. Lee, before we close the program today, would you like to um, share some closing comments with our listeners? Uh, absolutely. I'd, I'd like to certainly uh, thank you, Nancy, for having me there. And, and uh, the technology that we've been studying uh, was actually born out of a, out of a situation that, that you may be able to identify with. And, and that in particular was that the uh, inventor of this technology's wife had had, had, had a breast operation and, and, and contracted an MRSA infection and became extremely ill. And after years of trying to take care of this and to get the, uh, the health outcomes they wanted, which was to get the, his wife back to improved health and, and where she was, he invented this because he could see that people were cleaning the room all the time. He could see that the staff was doing everything that was in their protocol and their procedure, but no one was doing anything for the air. And he felt like, at least in watching his wife for the period of time of years that she was in the hospital, in and out with this, this situation, that something had to be done because that's the only thing he could contribute the situation to. And, and at, no matter who he talked to, nothing was being done for the air. And okay. so it, it's a similar situation to why many people come up with ideas and inventions is that they want to improve people's lives. They want to improve mm-hmm. people's outcomes. And so right. this unit um, doesn't replace anything, as we said, but it, it significantly will improve the environment uh, that, that people are exposed to every day. So whether right. you have allergies and you feel bad, uh, the design of this is specifically for that. But I do want to thank you, Nancy, and certainly all the hard work of the C. Diff Foundation. Well, thank you, Dr. Lee, and we thank you for sharing the important information that you shared today with our global listeners, and you uh, have definitely provided us a wealth of information for patients, families, and fellow healthcare professionals, and we appreciate it. Thank you so much for being with us today. Please listen in every Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time, with our guests to discuss up-to-date information focused yet not limited to C. difficile infection prevention, treatments, and environmental safety. We also, once again, would like to thank our official sponsor, Clorox Healthcare, 
for making this program possible. Visit their website, CloroxHealthcare.com forward slash Radio. Thank you again for joining us today. We wish you good health and a good day. Thank you for tuning in this week for C. diff, spores, and more. Be sure to join your host, Nancy Kerala, again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 1 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition of our program on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. None of us can do this alone. All of us can do this together. We'll be right back. 